All right, take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to try to avoid some of the old school Mother's Day gimmicks that churches have pulled through the years. Uh, Case in point, when I was a kid going to church, my dad was pastor much of that time of my childhood and through my teenage years. And so a lot of what I learned about how to approach doing church, I learned from him. And uh, that was a little more traditional day than our day is. And uh, when it got to be Mother's Day, uh, there were they usually like to single out two mothers out of every service. Uh, at least we did in West Texas. My read from the early services, it used to happen out here also, uh, where they would say, for instance, today we want to recognize all mothers, but particularly two mothers. So uh, let's see who... Now, don't raise your hands, Okay. I'm avoiding the gimmicks. I'm just explaining them today. He would say, who's the oldest mother in the bunch? Y'all seen that happen in churches before? All right. Um, And then the obvious other side of that is, who's the youngest mother in the church? The most fun I ever had with that was when the youngest mother happened to be a girl who was in high school, and that did not fit the ethic of that church at all. And that caused some problems. But short of some very strategic funerals, one of the problems with that approach was the same old lady got to be the mother of the year every year. Excuse me. Seasoned citizen got to be that person. And so over a period of time, I watched my dad as he kind of rolled with it a little bit. And so he started finding different ways to identify and honor two different mothers. So one year, or not one, but several years, it was, okay, who's the mother who lives the closest to the church, traveled the least distance to get here, I think is the way he used to say it. And then the obvious second one was who traveled the greatest distance to get here. And that rolled on for a number of years and Uh, you know, I'm not really sure what the reason for that was, but it all came to a screeching halt one year when my dad trying to keep up with that whole approach said this year we look for a way to discover who is one side and the other extreme. And so this year we're going to do it this way today. We're going to determine who is an honor, the prettiest mother and the ugliest mother. I don't think he even finished that that day, but it was the end of that that day. So I'm going to avoid the gimmicks, and what I want to actually do today is talk to us and find in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today adequate grounds for us on Mother's Day that really pulls in lots of people. I'm going to be speaking directly to husbands today. But let me let me just say this. One of the real pitfalls of trying to preach on a calendar that follows Mother's Day, Father's Day, those kind of things, is that by definition you're going to be just preaching to a very select group of the congregation, which is a terrible way to approach preaching. Uh, God's word is good for all people at all times. And so, you know, we need to make sure that when we come in here, I don't just speak to a third of this whole group. And so I'm going to take a passage that is specifically driven towards husbands. But we're going to find as we go through this that the application of this fits across the board. All right? So if you happen to be, I'm, I'm amazed here. It just dawned on me, 
All of our teenagers are gone. I was ready to hit the cray button this morning, and now they're all gone. Uh, so I guess they're sitting with mothers out there somewhere. So now that you're close to your moms, your mom can be throwing elbows as I go through this because there's ways for you children to be dealing. If you don't know what the cray button is, you're way behind the times. Okay, um, your children. If you're a child here, then there's something in this for you. All right? How do we treat one another? Here's another thing that I have to be careful about on Mother's Day. One of the reasons that I didn't want to just do a Mother's Day sermon is because Mother's Day is not a happy day for everybody in church. And we need to acknowledge that as a church. People go through incredible heartache. And this time of the year reminds people of those heartaches. I I know many ladies who would love to be a mother and for whatever reason they cannot be. And this is a hard day for people in our churches. And so we want to be careful about that. So what I want to do today is take a passage that deals with husbands specifically so that we can all see ourselves in it and let's work at making every day Mother's Day. Maybe we'll get a few more when it's all said and done. Maybe I'll do like this, ladies, when I want an amen from your husband. You can throw the elbow when I hit my eye like that. Okay, so... Let me, let me give you a, I'm going to jump to the very end. I'm going to give you a picture of what I'm talking about. There's something in this for all of us. Friday, um, we had a work day here on Saturday, yesterday morning. And I, I just want to stop and acknowledge, probably none of these people want me to acknowledge the fact that they were here working yesterday. I am beyond blessed to be pastor of a church where people come and they care about the facilities and do the work that it takes to keep up with it. And I was walking through parts where I know work was done yesterday, and it amazes me what just a little bit of effort in one area does to the appearance here. So those of you who are working yesterday, I want to say thank you so much for doing that. I appreciate it so very much, and it helps us to put a good foot forward in the community. Um, But because we had a work day yesterday morning, and I knew I wouldn't be able to do it today, I decided on Friday, that's my day off, uh, and I know some of you are thinking every day is a day off for a preacher. You just work one day a week. Yeah, that's right. It's a great gig if you can get it. It's just a very select people can get it. Uh, I decided I better take Friday, drive to Huntsville, and spend the day or at least part of it with my mother. And uh, so I got up and uh, did a few things around the house. And about between 9 and 10 thereabouts, I started getting myself together to head that direction. Uh, and it had rained a little bit the night before, and it was going to rain a lot later in the day, as it turns out. Uh, but at that particular time, it wasn't raining too much. I jumped in my car, and I started out. And I got to Coons, and it started raining fairly hard, uh, and headed out towards Honey Island. And I decided I better call my mom for all of this. And so I'd called her earlier and said, hey, I'm coming. And she said, no, 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 don't come. The, the, the weather's terrible. Parts of Huntsville were already without electricity, and they had had all kinds of problems, and uh, I think actually the whole town of Trinity was out of electricity and some damaging winds. And so mom was kind of worried about her little baby driving out on the highway. And so, <laughs> so yeah, that's me. Um, so I said, I'm going to just start driving and I'll see what the weather's like and I'll call you and let you know what I'm going to do. If it's bad, then I'll turn around and come home, but I'll call you and let you know. Um, and so I started driving. I got through the rain. I got about Honey Island, a little past that. And, I, you know, started, the clouds started to break. And um, so by the time I got to about 
Cold Spring or Shepherd, somewhere over there. I called her and I said, hey, I'm coming on anyway. Uh, and I was doing fine with that until, and I was processing this sermon and thinking through it and some of the stuff that I'm about to say, you'll see how this all ties in in a minute. But it dawned on me that I knew that I was confident driving in even the worst thunderstorm I could do it. I've done it many times. It didn't bother me. And so I was going. I don't know how often, how many times on Mother's Day I'll have the chance to do that. So I was headed that way. I was going that way. And it dawned on me that just the fact that I was continuing with that plan was causing my mother and dad some serious stress because they were worried. And so I almost turned around and went back when I thought about that. And then processing through it, I decided I would not be a good son and I'd go ahead and do what I wanted to do anyway. Been doing that for years. But even while I was there at their house, they were concerned about the weather that the weather guesser said was guessing it was going to be bad later in the evening. And so the time that I was there was intended to be a time of connecting and just letting her know that she's special and I love her and all of that. But there was a certain amount of an edge to the whole thing because she was worried about the drive home. Does that make sense? I want you to hang on to that picture as we come to this passage today. Remember, Peter's talking to husbands, but he's in a bigger section. And I'll talk about that bigger section in, as we get towards the end of this message today. And in all of this, we find a message for all of us the way we deal with family members. And so, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, he says this. Likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's just jump in, all right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to unpack this verse, and we're going to kind of take pieces of it out and set it aside, and we'll pull it all together when we're finished. And so let me just jump in from the very beginning, and there's two words that come out at me. Now, I need to say this to you. He starts off with a command. And the command is very simply, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's the way it says it in the ESV. We'll come back to that in a minute. But before we get too much further into that, let's stop with the first couple of words that just jump off the page at our society today. It is a word in the Greek language that is only used here in the whole New Testament. That's other places in Greek writing, classical Greek, etc. But in the whole New Testament, it's only used here. It's one word, but we translate it as two when it says live with. Now that may seem like I'm kind of getting a little bit too picky. But hey, truth is where you find it in here. And when you go to study scripture, it's not how much ground you can cover. It's how much of the word can cover you. So let's stop and let it soak in just a little bit. He starts off by saying, husbands, live with your wives. It's not a difficult concept. The concept is do life together. It's one word. It means to dwell with Now, that can go right over our heads. We can just kind of slough it off and say, okay, yeah, get to the meat. But the meat is there. Share life together. But you see, the problem with that, and the reason I'm spending some time on it here this morning, is because that is a basic truth of Scripture that is largely ignored by our society today. 
We have so many people. How, don't raise your hands or anything. Certainly don't point. Uh, how many of you know people, husbands and wives, who cohabit a place, but they don't share life together? He's doing his thing. She's doing her thing. They go their separate ways. Now, there may be children involved, and so the kids get kind of shuffled from one side to the other. Usually, it seems like the, they get shuffled to the mother's side of it. Oh, I should have said earlier. I said in the earlier service about this point in the message, guys, I'm going to get right in your face today. So if you want to go to sleep, now's a good time to do it. Now, I said that in the early service, and a bunch of them didn't take me up on it. They stayed awake through the whole thing. So they came through afterwards and started kind of threatening to burn my house down and stuff. So let me rephrase it. Ladies, would you just take a nap now? And that will help your husbands out a little bit. We have so many people in our society today that have bought into the world at large and its view of what marriage ought to be. And so we come together. And we get a good, solid tax deduction because we file jointly. But that's the extent of our life together. So we meet each other. If we meet at all, passing in the night, as the old thing says. You know anybody like that? Husband and wife, but not sharing life together. Oh, they're stuck together. Some of them are stuck together because they just don't want to go through the legal process of getting unstuck. But practically speaking, they've been living separate lives for years. That is our society. And it's invaded our church and our Christian thinking so that we even begin to think that that's the norm of how we're supposed to live life. We share stuff, but we don't share life. Let's don't miss this basic concept as Peter opens the discussion with, with uh, fathers here. Husbands, live with your wives. Don't just do time with her. Amazing how many conversations I have had through the years with husbands who refer to their marriage as if it's a prison sentence. Well, I'm doing time. How much time have you done? I've done 30 years. How's that working out for you? You know what I want to say is, how's that working out for your wife? Live with your wife. He says, essentially here, share life. It's a great picture. And I've seen several of these in our church where husband and wife get it right. And they're sharing life together. Just put it out. Lauren's sitting over here with her mama. I want to go back to the days when we first kicked Lauren, when Lauren first moved out of the house. <clears throat> now, how many, I don't know how many years ago it was. Uh, three, four years ago, Lauren had finished high school and she was going to, she had already done some college time and she was going to head off and go to Sam Houston State in. Uh, in Huntsville, and we live way down deep in South Texas. And it was a, kind of a difficult process for us. She's our baby, okay? We have, you've met the two other guys and uh, her brothers, and uh, so she was the last one to leave home, sort of. And uh, so when we got ready to do that, Teresa and I began to kind of go back in our minds to 
times in our lives before there were children. By the way, let me encourage those of you who have really young children. You can look at us and you can know they do finally leave home. Okay? There is that day out there when it's going to be like it was before children. We call that B.C. in our house. Except it's not like it was B.C. Or at least it shouldn't be like it was B.C. But a lot of people don't share life together. And so we find husbands and wives and families who are just each person doing their own thing. And so they just go in their own way. And then when those kids finally leave home, those husband and wife look at one another and they say something like this. What was your name again? Let me tell you, that is not God's design for family. It may be society's norm these days, but it's not God's design. You parents, husband and wife, you start today preparing your marriage for when those kids leave home. Because under God, they're going to leave home. And then what are you going to have? Share life together. That's the first part of what we find here. Now he just takes that and he just hammers us over the head, guys. Notice what he says next. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You catch that? In an understanding way. Now, that's the English Standard Version. Let's do a little audience participation now. What are some other translations? I want to save King James for last, okay? What does the NIV say right there? Okay, audience participation. I'll ask a question and you respond back, okay? What does the NIV say? Considerately. Could have talked all day and not said that. You want to know a good test for you guys about whether you are living with your wives considerately? How do your children talk to your wife? How do they treat your wife? You see, we let a lot of stuff go as dads because it's just too much trouble to deal with it. I'm tired. I don't want to deal with it. What happens is we teach our kids how to treat their mama by the way we treat their mama. This came home to me in a very clear way. It was hard to watch because it was part of our family at large. won't tell you who it was or when it was, but we watched as a husband in our greater family unit treated his wife with contempt all the time. He didn't even try to hide it, and I'm going to come back to some of this in a little bit. He didn't even try to hide it in his voice with her and dealings with her, which was, well, it never was fine, but in their deal there. They kind of made peace with how that was going to function somehow. But when those kids that they have, and they had several, when those kids got to be teenagers, all of a sudden they were little daddies in how they treated mama. It was all I could do not to just get sent up on charges when I visited their house. Considerately. Live with your wives. Share life. Considerately. What's another translation somebody's got? With respect. Well, that kind of helps drive it home a little bit more. How do you talk to your wife? If I were to walk into a conversation when you weren't expecting the preacher to be there and things were not, you know, guarded, they were just normal, 
Would I see respect in the way you deal with one another? Okay, now this is a good time for me to take this passage, step out of the husband part of it, and let's go to teenagers and let's go to kids. How do you talk to your mama? How do you deal with your mama? Now, back in the day, back in the 80s, we talked, I wasn't an 80s kind of guy, uh, but they talked a lot about your mama jokes. You remember those things? If I was a comedian, I'd give you a few of them, but i got to go home after a while. I'm not doing that. So for your mama, kids, is there respect in the way you deal, deal with her and treat her? All right, let's go to the King James Version. What does it say here? According to knowledge. Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. It's an interesting phrase. It is an exact interpretation from Greek into English. Okay? It is a word for word, taking the idea, the thought, the word itself, pulling it over, dwell with your wives, live with your wives, share life together according to knowledge. Now, it doesn't communicate as well as considerately or with respect. So let me see if I can pull a few things out. Let's have a test. Y'all ready for a test? Husbands, you ready? Here we go. According to knowledge, what are the color of your wife's eyes? And all of a sudden, 90% of the rest of us are too. Okay. What are the color of your wife's eyes? By the way, Teresa, I need your driver's license for a little bit. What is the color of your wife's hair? Now, wait a minute. What is the natural color of your wife's hair? You know, realistically, um, I could ask, is your wife, let me say it this way. I could ask, does your wife have hair? And most of us would do better than which color it is. How about her favorite food? What is her favorite movie? Now, this is about the time in the service that I'm going to say to you, I told you you should have taken a nap. Now, let me be really honest with you, okay? Ladies, ladies, tell you like I tell the Awana kids, look at me right here so I know you're listening. Ladies, this is my test, not yours. Do not take this test home, all right? I do a lot of counseling. I'm already full for the week, okay? So I don't need you to take this test home with you. It's Mother's Day. Enjoy the attention. Those questions that I just asked are trivial, really. Now, your wife may be going, eh, not for me. If he, he doesn't know my eye color, this is a serious deal. Ladies, we're just guys. It's not an excuse, but it's an excuse. We, we, don't, we don't know. We know to do better. We just don't know how to do better. Seriously, though, those are trivial things. Let me give you a question that is not trivial. As a matter of fact, it hits at the heart of this verse. And I will say, guys, if you can answer this question correctly, your wife will forgive you the trivial stuff. The question from this verse is... What does she need from you? 
Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. That means you need to know who she is. You need to know her at such depth that you could wake up out of a dead sleep and know where she is at that moment as far as what's going on with her. What does she need from you? Give me a couple of examples. I don't always get this right. I have gotten it right a couple of times. Uh, and she's really good to let me know when I get it right. By the way, ladies, that's a great way to deal with this. Okay, Instead of just harping on when he gets it wrong, let him know when he gets it right. So here's one of the times that, she, that I got it right and she let me know. See, uh, I've, I've been in school all of my adult life, seems like. We're one of those families where Teresa, you know, just had to put up with me going to school. It seemed like I went forever. We had a son who was about three months old when I quit my job in Odessa. We moved to Plainview for me to go to college. Went from college directly into seminary, and that took me through to about 91. And Lauren was born in 90. And so we had all three of our children while either immediately while I was in school or just started right after the first one was born. And uh, through the process of that, I was determined to work full-time while I was going to school full-time. The reason I wanted to do that, I wanted to be in church, I wanted to see if the garbage I was being told in seminary fit in a real-life scenario. Most of it didn't, but some of it did. But I knew that because I was working full-time, going to school full-time. But we also made a commitment as a family that as long as we could, she was going to stay home with our kids. She was going to be a stay-at-home mom which is another reason I worked full-time. We needed that to happen. So she stayed at home with our kids through all of their childhood until Lauren got to be um, um, kindergarten age. She went off to kindergarten. Teresa went back to college. I'll get to that in a minute. So one of the things that happened in that whole stretch of time was uh, I was getting up early in the morning, about 3.30, 4 o'clock or so, doing my homework before the rest of the house got up. And then I would have breakfast with them if they happened to get up. And then I would go to work all day. And I was a youth minister for most of that time. And so sometimes it's six, seven, eight o'clock at night when I would get home. Uh, and by the time I got home, I was smoked. I mean, tired, tired. And in my mind, I went home thinking, I can finally go relax. And so I would go in the house and I would sit down and I would just kind of melt into the chair and Teresa would start talking. You know what I mean? Talking. Remember the old dude said, you're doing this and what I want you to do is this. Don't do that to your wives, all right? But that was the picture, okay? Now, this is not news. We're not having trouble today, so don't worry about it. You can watch her if you want, but she's already heard it once today. Uh, that's the reality. I was tired when I got home. But, you know, she said this to somebody one time. She said it to me one time, and then she said it to other people, but I got it the first time. She helped me when she said this to me. You know, I've been keeping... <laughs> These kids, I think she said your kids, but I could be wrong about that. I've been keeping these kids all day long. Now, I was at work, working hard, earning a living, and she was home playing with the kids. (laughs) Or at least that's what I thought. And so she says, I've been with the kids all day long. I need adult conversation." never dawned on me 
that she needed adult conversation. I'm an idiot. I can't help it. Yes, I can help it. She helped me to help it. A simple statement. I need adult conversation. What I needed was rest, but it wasn't about me. I thought I didn't think I'd get any amens there. It's not about you, guys. According to what Peter is teaching us here, God's plan for you is live with your wives according to knowledge. Know what she needs. By the way, to him who knows to do right and doesn't do it, it is what? Sin. This is a God thing in our lives. Here's another one. There's no way I'm going to make through the whole sermon anyway, so I'll just go ahead and dig in a little bit. you got to understand something about me. I just barely made it out of high school, okay? Now, college and all that stuff, I applied myself. It was kind of a different story. But in high school, I, here was my mantra in high school. C is for credit. D is for diploma. <laughs> it works. I know that some parents are out there going, oh, I can't believe he said that in front of my kids. Hey, worked, Okay. Especially, I didn't do math, all right? Now, they made me do some math, um, but I hated them for it, okay? Don't do math. Hate math. Don't do math. You got that about me? All right, so I come home one day. Teresa's in college. Now, this is before we had children. And so she's working on an education degree at that time, and she was going to be a teacher. And so part of what she had to take was a statistics class. Don't do math. I come home. She is melted down in the front room. I mean, she's a puddle on the floor. Statistics books spread across the bed. She's lost it. Somewhere in the day, she checked out. And I come home, and statistics everywhere. And she says to me, I need help. Now, this verse, I hated this verse back then. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge. What does she need? She just told me what she needs. And I don't do math. I'm thinking to myself, you don't want me to help you with statistics. I'd love for you to graduate. You don't want me to help you with statistics. But I just dove in. I did all I knew to do. I took the statistics book it felt like fire in my hands. I hated the sensation of it. And I just started reading the problem that she was working on. And in about 30 minutes, we solved the problem. Now, first of all, I thought, this stuff's easy. But she thought, he's the king of the world. You cannot imagine what it will do for your relationship, guys, if you will dwell with her according to knowledge. Know what she needs. If you don't know what her eye color is and you've been married 40 years, she'll forgive you for that if you treat her right. Dwell with her according to knowledge. What he's saying in this first part of this verse is, The wise man knows his wife and he shares life with her. Let me tell you something. There's enough sermon right there for me to stop right there. 
But let me give you one more thing real quick. He elaborates on it. Here's what he says next. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. This is an elaboration on the dwell with her according to knowledge. Now, the interesting thing of this is that the word honor is the one that drives the whole passage, the whole verse, and all the verses around it. As a matter of fact, this word honor is used up in the previous verse in chapter 2, verse 17, where it says this. I think he's got that for us. Chapter 2, verse 17. And it says this. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. And here's the key word. Honor the emperor. Let me pull those two verses together for you. Treat her according to knowledge. Live with her according to knowledge. Honor her, which means treat her like royalty. Oh my goodness, preacher. You're killing me out here. Not me, I'm just the messenger. This is straight from the heart of God about how we're supposed to deal with people we love. And I know, I've seen it. I've been in this a long time. Guys, if you just knew my wife, you wouldn't say that. Hey, God knows your wife. He said it. Maybe the reason she treats you the way you do is because you don't treat her like she's a queen. But don't you hate these verses? Treat her like royalty, which means, ready for this? Treat her like royalty, which means don't treat her like she's an idiot. You know people who do their wives like that? Like she doesn't have the ability to process a sentence correctly. Don't treat her like she's an idiot. Don't treat her like, (laughs) kids listening? Every kid looking at me, know you're listening. Don't treat her like she's a maid. Come on, ladies, I figured I'd get lots of amens on this part, okay? Don't treat her like she's a maid. If she wanted to be a maid, she'd get paid for it somewhere. Would you treat royalty the way you treat your mom? Or in this case, guys, specifically your wife? Talk down to her? Here's another one. Don't marginalize her in your life. So many ladies in this world believe they just don't matter. Somewhere back when he might have loved me, he said he did. I fell for it. I bought into it. But since then, I've just been parked on a shelf and he pulls me out when he needs me, which is not very often. Let me tell you something. Whether you respect her or not, God has great respect for your wife. He loves her as much as he loves you. And he has given you a clear responsibility to love her like he does. Dwell with your wives according to knowledge, showing honor to her. I'm out of time. I want to say this one last thing. I got a whole half another sermon for you here. I want to say this. Spencer, we're going to go back to that last passage I told you about. This whole passage starts with the word. Verse 7 starts with what word? Likewise. What that means is this is part of a bigger picture that Peter is talking about. He says likewise because he's pulling together an argument. 
And scholars are a little bit divided, and I'm going to tell you what I think. And it's okay. I can have an opinion just like anybody else does. I think grammatically and the thought process and everything justifies us saying that this whole discussion about a husband and his, how he treats his wife grows out of chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And look at what it says. Beloved, I, and he's talking to Christians, okay? And he's talking to Christians who are being persecuted by pagan society. Peter writes to a church that is scattered because of the uh, persecution of the Roman emperor on them. And he's saying to them through the course of the whole book of 1 Peter, you live your faith out. And so now he says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners, in other words, uh, your pilgrims on a journey, and as exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. There's that word again. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. You know what he's saying to us? The way, husbands, the way you treat your wives ought to be evidence that the gospel is real. Hello, American Christianity. We have let the outside world say this is how you treat women. Or, here's even the worst part, we've taken that passage that says you're the spiritual head of your family, and we've used that to beat women over the head with it. You have no right to denigrate, to push down, to step on that woman that God gave you to love. And the outside world looks at Christians and says, no thanks, I got enough broken relationship garbage out here. I don't need to go to the church to find it. And it breaks the heart of God. And it marginalizes women in our churches. And we will answer to God for that, guys. And kids. And moms. This is the real deal. Verse 7, he gives us the plan to make everyday Mother's Day make it so. Let's pray. And so, Father, we ask you to take this hard message, season it with grace, drive it home for us. We pray that you'd heal marriages. Pray that you'd step into relationships that you've been locked out of and breathe fresh life and fresh love into them for your name's sake, not for us, not for our comfort. Pray that you'd forgive us for the way we have torn down the institution of marriage by the way we treat each other. We pray these things in Jesus' name.